Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Left of Straight Show, guys. We are officially on hump day. It is Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and in the studio today, we have my interns, David and Hannah, pressing all the buttons and keeping us sounding and looking good. Guys, it's uh, we finished Pride Month. We made it through. It was a strange one this year, indeed. Um, but we are out of June and we had things to celebrate. I'm glad that we kind of took on and took uh, part of Black Lives Matter. We kind of joined together as we should have been. We kind of brought pride into what it needs to be, which is more focused on rights and civil liberties, more so than the Budweiser table next to the main stage by the drag queens. Uh, even though that's fun, I'm glad we're kind of uh, doing stuff for the right reasons this year. So happy Pride Month to you all. I hope you all enjoyed it in some way or another. It was a little strange with COVID and Black Lives Matter and everything else kind of coalescing into one wild and crazy month. But there you have it. Guys, it is hump day. We're halfway through, maybe a little further for some of you guys that get a three-day weekend and get Friday off for the 4th of July coming up this week. We will be live every night, Monday or this Monday through Fridays. We'll be here tonight, tomorrow, and Friday at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time with new shows every night. If you missed yesterday's show, we finished Pride Month with two great interviews of literally historic proportions and started out the show with our good buddy Adam Rothenberg from the Call Me Adam blog and blog and podcast in New York City. He does his monthly entertainment minute from New York. We had a lot of fun things to talk about and some not so fun things like finding out that Broadway is going to be closed for the rest of the year guaranteed. They weren't 100% sure, but they did announce it yesterday that there will be no more theater in New York City until 2021. So not good news for that. Uh, Then, like I said, I had two amazing interviews yesterday. The very first ever elected transgender representative in the state of West Virginia Rosemary Ketchum was elected to the city council in Wheeling, West Virginia, which happens to be not too far from me. It's only about an hour and 20 minute drive over there. So congratulations to her. We talked about her her historic win last night and what she plans on doing for the city 
and how she weaves her LGBTQ community into her activism for her city. So that was a great interview. And then we talked to Dr. Eric Cervini, who wrote an amazing LGBTQ history book called The Deviance War, uh, The Homosexual Versus United States of America. And it's all about LGBTQ history starting back in the 50s and 60s. And it was a great way to wrap up Pride Month talking to those two last night. So I was very happy with that show. If you missed it, you can always download it from your favorite podcast distributor. Head on over to uh, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes Podcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Spotify. We're at all the major platforms. Go ahead and download the episode from yesterday there. It would make me feel good if you hit a little check mark on the um, subscribe. That way you'll always find out when a ep- new episode has been posted. And you can download it at your leisure if it's something that sounds like you want to listen about. And if you do listen to an episode and like it, please give us a five-star review. The more reviews we get on any of those platforms, the higher it rates us in the search engines. And I appreciate that a lot. So that was yesterday. Today, we have a great show for you as well. In just a couple of seconds here, we're going to do our normal Wednesday pop culture minute with our buddies Josh and Jeff out in Nashville, Tennessee, when they do their J&J Buzz segment. So I'll have that going in just a little bit. And then I have two great interviews today. The first is going to be a live interview in just a little bit with writer and filmmaker Tim Zentek. And then a little later on tonight, we're going to be talking with a pre-tape interview I did last week with Dr. Steve Iacovelli. He's known as the gay leadership dude, has worked for some amazing companies and kind of put a lot of leadership tips into the lens of a someone from the LGBTQ community and how we have certain skills that lead to other parts of leadership. It's good for everybody, but it's just, it's kind of some amazing correlations that we'll talk about. Two great interviews coming up in just a little bit. I do have my big announcement for the day. It's a sad one. I've been teasing at it all week, the last two days, but we had to officially today cancel the big gay road trip for our month of shows live from the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs. So the reason we had to do that is, um, as you know, Texas, Florida, California are going through a huge new resurgence of COVID-19 cases. For California on this past Sunday, Los Angeles County closed all of its bars. And today, Riverside County, which is where Palm Springs is in, has a 99% capacity in their hospitals due to COVID, also closed all of their bars, and they closed all of their restaurants to inside dining today. And also on Monday, it was announced that two of the Uh, workers at Hunter's Bar in Palm Springs, which is one of the gay bars in Palm Springs, came down with COVID and they'd closed that bar before they officially closed all the bars today. So it's just not a good place to go. I don't want to, I had 50 guests from all over um, LA and Orange County and everything coming up to the show. I don't want to put them at risk. And frankly, I got to make sure that I don't go at risk because I will be coming back in six weeks to my 81 year old mother with diabetes, and I don't want to risk catching it and being a carrier of it 
even though I'm young enough where hopefully it wouldn't affect me that much, I don't want to do anything and give it to anybody else. So unfortunately, we had to cancel the big gay road trip. We'll see what happens. We go there in the summertime to indulge because the summer is the off season in Palm Springs. It gets so hot there. And that's another reason why we cancel it. The way I do the show is it's too hot to do the show outside poolside, which is what I would want to do. But we have to do the show from my room at the resort. And the room is a nice size room. I have a nice little kitchenette and a big king size bed, big old bathroom and everything. But we do the show relatively close right on top of each other because we have to talk into the microphone to do this radio show live from my room. So that is not a very good social distance thing to do. If we wear a mask, you're not going to hear us over the microphones. If we do go to the four corners of my room at the resort and social distance that way, we'll barely be our six feet across and miking would be a pain in the behind. So it's just not feasible to do the show there right now. Um, if the resort, I mean, I always hope one of the reasons we go there is to help give the resort some some notice it gets them a little busier in the summer people come to see listen to my show and meet some of my celebrities so it gives them a little bit of business it gives me a chance to talk to my people in person as opposed to doing on the phone like we normally do but they are busy the other nine months of the year so i can usually go june july or august so we'll see what happens with covid if they're not quite as busy this year i may be able to go off uh, during their busy season maybe i'll go there in november or december um, if their bookings are like they usually are, where they are jam-packed full the entire time, we'll have to wait till next summer till we can get back there. So, sad day for the big gay road trip, but we will still power on. We're still going to have great interviews. I had, like I said, about 40 or 50 interviews lined up. I talked to all of them today, got back from, I'd say, over 50% of them, and they will still come on the show and do some call-ins. So, we'll still talk to a lot of my favorite guests over the next few weeks here. So that's what's happening in Left of Straight World. But let's go ahead and get ready to start off today because in about uh, just a little bit, we're going to have our first guest on, Tim Zinke. But as always, if it's a Wednesday, it's time for a pop culture minute with our buddies from J&J Buzz, Josh and Jeff, the very handsome fiancés out of Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm going to throw it back to the studio. We're going to play a little uh, J&J buzz, and I'll be back on the other side. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. You are listening to Josh and Jeff on J&J buzz exclusively on Left of Straight radio network. Now, live from Nashville, Tennessee, here's Josh and Jeff. <laughs> what up? I'm Josh. And I'm Jeff. And, and this I'm is J&J Buzz. Buzz. I'm and back this y- week. You were so back. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm telling you, it was hard trying to do this freaking segment without you because nobody's talking back to me and you always do that and you're the best. Well, it's hard to do anything without me. When uh, you're you and I'm me, it's hard to do anything without you as well. <laughs> anything. I love you. <laughs> I love the fact that you just turned. He's sitting. We're sitting on the bed right now doing this, and he's in these like red shorts that look like he's a lifeguard from Baywatch. <laughs> and he literally, his face just turned red as those shorts. It's very cute. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the news. We, we don't have much time. We just talking, talking, talking <laughs> way over here. 
Okay, uh, so the Supreme Court just struck down a Louisiana law that would have effectively closed all of the abortion clinics or clinics that provide abortions in that state. And, like, I'm super excited about it because, I mean, not that I even have a lot to talk about in, like, the abortion conversation. Yeah, I don't know much about that. Whole well, lot. and you can't have an abortion. Women only have abortion. Well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but what's also interesting about this is that by saving these clinics, they also saved, like, sexual health in rural areas so like people that's where people get like hiv testing and and all that kind of stuff so uh, yeah ruining it for everybody yeah well they were trying to but the supreme court said uh-uh not today <laughs> i don't think so exactly not today what do you got okay you guys know as a prison reform activist i like to keep everyone updated so mm-hmm. inmates in the federal prisons Fourteen days before they go home, they have to be quarantined. Wait, before they, they finally get their like green pass <laughs> like to you know collect two hundred dollars and go home. Prison in prison. Um, so they have to stay there there for fourteen days. Yeah, and I guess they take their temperature after fourteen days. And, you know, <laughs> then decide give them a face mask and send them on their way. <laughs> Here but you go. Their visits are suspended. They are on lockdown. They get out of their cells for one hour a day. Showered three days a week. It's, you know, it's it, ridiculous. No, it is ridiculous. And I think people don't understand that they're easily forgotten. Oh, yeah. It, it's like a whole other world in there. And people very easily forget about people in prison. And Well, I didn't forget about nobody. I, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> acting like I knew you when you were there. But um, anyway, don't forget the guys that are, are locked up. It's really important. They're yep. still people and citizens. And they're anyway, coming home one day. They are coming home after a 14-day quarantine. <laughs> so do you think being uh, gay is a security risk? Is it a security risk? Yeah. Well, no. Well, no. Duh. It's well, an essential risk. We're well, essential. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are essential. Well, former vice president and presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden is really living these, well, like probably re-dodging these comments he made in 1973 saying, my gut reaction is that they, homosexual, are security risks, but I must admit, I haven't given this much thought. I'll be darned. Now, this was according to a report from the Washington Free Beacon and Fox News, your favorite. Oh, I love it. <laughs> okay, y'all, he doesn't like I keep up with Fox every day. Yeah. So now, granted, it's been four decades since Joe Biden made those comments, and I'm not going to judge or, or have people, you know, tell people how they should feel about it because you hate when I do that for you, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. Possibly. <laughs> he totally just checked out of this story. No, no idea what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, it, it, this was from 1973. Fox News is bringing it up because they are trying to, you know, bring it up because that's kind of what they do. Right. That's why I don't keep up Fox News. I no, I, <laughs> I don't either. Listen, this is we gotta go because we're already oh. past our time. I'm so sorry. Uh, my I, first week back. Yeah, I know. Okay. Hey, Wonder real quick, week. did you listen at all? Did you listen to last week's? Well, yes. It was cute. Of course, I did. It was. Cute. Anyway, I missed you. I missed you. I love you. I love you. Okay, I'm Josh. And I'm Jeff. And this was J and J Buzz. This was J&J Buzz, exclusively on Left of Straight Radio Network.
They are so cute. It is sickening, I got to tell you. I love myself a little Josh and Jeff in the morning. All right, guys, that was our J&J Buzz pop culture segment. We're going to take a little song break now, and when when we come back, I'm going to be with my first guest, Tim Zentik. Like I said, he is a writer. He is a filmmaker, and we're going to have a good chat with him. But let's take off with little Sam Harris. Sam was supposed to be out at Palm Springs. Sam, you might remember from winning Star Search way back in the day. Sam's old like I am. But uh, he is uh, a great singer. He has a brand-new book coming out. We're going to talk to him, I think, this Monday or Tuesday, um, whether we're going to be in Palm Springs or not. So uh, we will get him on anyway since we can't wait for Palm Springs. So a little Over the Rainbow with Sam Harris. When I come back, we'll be with Tim Zentik. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
That's why Sam Harris won Star Search back in the day. Guys, that was Sam Sam Harris with Over the Rainbow, about the gayest song I could think of to play as we finish <laughs> up five months yesterday. So uh, we are going to jump into it, though. I'm so excited to have my next guest on. He was brought to my attention from our good friend and our West Coast special correspondent, the Empress of Hollywood herself, Mr. Enoch Miller. He's a writer, producer, and director who's recently released a fantastic web series called The First. It's a really cool study of the first date through a series of firsts that relationships can and have gone through, sexual compatibility included. Oh, my. I had one of my interns, Zoe, help me create the questions for my guests, and she knocked out of the park. So we're going to tag team him a little bit today. So let's bring him on the show. We'll try to be gentle, but please welcome to the straight show for the very first time, Mr. Tim Zaytak. Tim, how are we doing, buddy? I'm good. I feel like I can't um, properly follow up. That, that end of that song was amazing. I feel like I, uh, I can't follow that there up. There you go. We were just <laughs> bursting in rainbows. I mean, we missed Pride yeah. yesterday, the last day, so I wanted to have one last send-off, right? <laughs> it's great. I feel like it's the best introduction ever. There you go. Well, how you doing, buddy? I mean, you're out there in L.A. Central, COVID round two, ding, ding. You've been holding up pretty good the last couple of months? Uh, yeah, I mean, as good as can be in the midst of, you know, this crazy time. I'm very just thankful to be have a job and, you know, keep my head down and be busy during this, you know. Um, right. It's yeah, and L.A. is just, like, going through. Yeah, it's, like, I guess it's the second wave. I'm not sure, but we're definitely not doing too well. The numbers just keep getting higher and higher. So, fun times. <laughs> fun times had by all. Yes, indeed. Goodness gracious. Well, you got to be safe out there, my friend. Wear that damn mask. I don't know why people can't get a clue. They're closing the beaches down for Fourth of July. That's where I would be. Did you have any big Fourth yeah. of July plans? Yeah, I mean, I was a, a small group of us. We were going to rent an Airbnb, but then everything kind of turned crazy, and it's just not working out now. So I don't know. I think I think it's just going to be a very low-key thing with, like, my roommate and I because I don't really know where else to go. We're getting locked <laughs> locked in. Right. Right, right. So, oh, yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. No fun. 
Let's start with a little bit of your background, Tim. Talk to me about where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you? Oh, um, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, western suburbs, this little town called Lyle. And then, um, and I was uh, a very precocious, curious kid who just would always ask a million questions to the ad nauseum <laughs> of literally anyone I was around. Um, and I think my mom actually thought I was going to be a radio host growing up because I would not stop asking questions. Um, so I don't know. I feel like that was probably my main, the main thing was just I was that person who would never shut up. <laughs> um, you have a better radio voice than I do. I'll trade you positions anytime. I just don't know how to write my way out of a paper bag, unfortunately. Uh, but <laughs> oh no, I I hate my voice. I'm so happy that I don't have to hear it. While I mean, I guess I don't hate it, but I'm very glad that I don't have to hear it as I'm talking right now. Yeah, I think we're all that way, but it's like, I don't know. I, I guess I have a comforting voice to those I talk to, but to me, I sound just horrible. I don't, I don't know what it is. Whatever it is. Whatever we we know what we're doing, right? We're doing the best we can. What the yeah, heck? I'm very curious. The people who like love the sound of their own voice, I like. I don't. I don't get it. I don't trust but, them. I, mean, I don't trust I them. Know. They're, they're who are people. they? I I, I want to meet them, and then when I do, I don't <laughs> believe them. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Well, talk about um, talk about your coming out. So, like I said, we just finished out with Pride. I want to know. When you first came out to yourself, and when did you first find your LGBTQ tribe? Ooh, okay. Um, I came out to myself, like, I mean, I knew I was gay, like, young, young. Like, I don't, I want to say, like, third grade or something, but I don't think I knew what that was. Mm. And then I, like, right. came out officially at 18, so it was, like, a long journey between those two dots um that's still pretty young though yeah that's cool yeah yeah very young and then like super I was like super melodramatic where I like wrote a letter and like gave it to all of my close friends and family and like made them read it and it ended with me just in the letter saying it was like at the end I was like I'm gay it was it was it was over (laughs) the top um but um I guess I've always been a writer (laughs) um and then I feel like I feel like the last time, like the, the, my tribe tribe was probably even longer than that. Like, I feel like in college and, and I had like a, a a small crew, but then it wasn't until I moved out to LA and like kind of met different, like I did different things, social things in uh, gay, like clubs, like VGL, RC Gay League, um, that I met some gay friends. And then I feel like from there it just spurred and, now I'm so thankful to have that, you know, that crew. Now you need that in LA. I mean, I'm like I said, I told you off air, I'm from there, but people who move there, they either love it or hate it. Cause it's a tough town to kind of get oriented in until you find whatever your tribe is, straight, gay, whatever it happens to be. Um, it's, it's a tough town. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the, the first year here is like, is the worst <laughs> it's like it's such a hard adjustment and I think like if you can if you can manage to get by and find a group of people then you're solid but I don't blame anyone who moves here and then moves out because it's, it's you know it's not for the you know faint of heart 
I guess. Yeah, I, I try to go there every year, and I try to bring some friends from around here in Ohio out there. Like I said, I'm from there, so I'm used to everything, and I still am Californiaized in my brain where I still think California. But for a lot of people, it's like, what do you like about here? <laughs> I don't understand it. It's too busy. It's too crowded. There's too much traffic. People are weird. It's like just it, it, yeah, it's an acquired taste. So, yeah, I, I agree. Say, I feel years. like I will say disclaimer-wise, like once you're like – yeah, the, even though I'm saying all those bad things about the first year, it's just such a culture shock and it's such a like right. you know, weird, weird place. But then once you do – you know, find that crew and whatever. It's like, it is pretty cool that like, you know, you can be by the ocean or the mountains or the desert or even like snow within like two hours, you know? So I am, exactly. the fact that you don't have, you don't have to think about like, you know, what you're gonna wear. That's a plus for me as someone who's like, I don't want to <laughs> have to like think about, oh, it's cold today. I should wear whatever. Cause I, truly could just wear the same t-shirt and jeans every day. So I like that. <laughs> it's cold. It's going to be 64 today. Oh no, I need to get my winter jacket out. That's, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. My friends still freak out. Cause I told them there's many times and I just took it for advantage growing up, but we would go um, when I was driving age in high school and college, there would be days we would drive up, to Big Bear and go skiing in the morning and then go have a bonfire at Huntington Beach at night and that was like a four hour drive total at the most so it was, it was a lot of fun I definitely took that, that so fun. yeah yeah very very yeah. cool I mean it's crazy though that like I do I mean I'm from Chicago so I grew up with like you know very bitter winters and then right. I moved here and I was like, oh my God, the first couple months of people, when it would be 60s, I was like, oh my God, everyone is being such babies. And then <laughs> cut to now, years later, it is in its 60s. And I'm like, Jesus, I need my winter coat. Like I, I've, I've fully <laughs> adjusted and my entire family is probably very ashamed of me. But um, I guess it's all relative to where you, you know, where you are. There you go. That's hilarious. I agree 100%. Well, let's talk about your time at Emerson. I mean, you were pretty focused early on. You knew you wanted to write for television, right? And that's kind of why you went there. Talk about that focus, where that came from. What was your early drive for that? What got you interested in that? Oh, wow. You did your research. Um, yeah, I um, I went to Emerson for writing for television. And, like, that's – I mean, that's why I went there was because I knew I wanted to be a TV writer – um, honestly, like before I even came out like, in my, you know, young, young teens. And then I very quickly was like, well, what school can I do that? I want to go to film school. And Emerson was the first one that was like, like you can actually, it's not just like film is your major, but you can specify like writing for TV. So I was like, I want to go to there. Um, and then, yeah, I visited and I knew that I would probably end up in LA trying to make this work. So then I was like, it'd be really cool to be on both coasts at some point. So I was like, Boston sounds like this magical land coming from the Midwest. And then, yeah, I I was there for four years, and it was a great – it's a great college town. It's like the perfect – you know, I think it's like 10 – or maybe it's like 30 colleges in like a 10-mile radius. It's like insane. Um, but, yeah, yeah I loved it. It's, it's an interesting city. I mean, it could be a little intimidating at first. I actually lived um, in – Western um, 
Massachusetts for a while, and I drove, and it was a little intimidating the first time to get around, but it is a beautiful city. And if for anything, acting and stuff like that, Emerson is the place to go. Talk about um, TV, right? What kind of TV shows were you raised on? What were your favorite shows growing up? Oh, I mean, if there was a show that, like, made me want to be a TV writer and I was, like, unhealthily obsessed with it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I was, like, nice. I was I was crazily obsessed and, like, my sister could make fun of me for hours for all of my fandom of that show as a kid. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, and then I just loved, you know, Friends and The Office and, like, Angel, the Buffy spinoff. There was like, there's so many shows that I loved, but I feel like there was one that really made me want to be a writer or like informed me. It was Buffy. And the cool thing, I mean, that too, just like coming from like, they had that like gay storyline with um, the first, like, I think it was the first lesbian uh, main character on network TV. And I think looking back on it now, I'm like, that definitely probably had a major factor in why I loved it so much. Right, right. Very cool. And you really thrived over there at MSN. I saw that you, a lot of your profs got you some great internships, CBS and around. Talk about your experience in writing there and what what kind of experience was that for you? Was it everything you were hoping it would be? Yeah, you know, I, um, CBS was kind of like my entry point. I, I like applied to be an intern for the television Academy of arts and sciences, which is like the Emmys basically. And they paired right. me at C at CBS. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, it was like such a dream come true for someone who like, even though I went to school for writing for TV, it was like, it's just another thing when you actually come here, it's like such, you know, it's like a huge level up. And so that was a nice like padded entry and my bosses were nice. And then they liked me enough that, I mean, I was very lucky that, person who I was my boss when I was an intern left and then asked me to be to um replace her and then that was my first job so like that kind of was truly the like thing that got me to you know make it here for a living like and be able to support myself that's awesome I love that and talk about um I I heard I saw that you were in a program there that paired you up with Berkeley students and I've had a lot of my musical guests come from Berkeley and you did something called one killer musical. Talk about that experience. That <laughs> seems pretty cool. I am truly blown away by your guys' research. And um, yes, I, uh, the Emerson did a, like a pairing with Berkeley school of music. And so it was like, looking back on it, it was like a really rad class, which was basically just, um, Two writers, um, the first week of the class is basically like, it sounds like an ad for this class, but it's like the first week is like two writers come up with ideas for a musical and, and or all writers do, and then you like say it to the class and whoever's like, what, if you like someone else's you guys like pair up and come up with an idea together. And then the following week, musicians do like do that with them, with each other, and then they pair up. And then like the third week, we all come together and it's like this whole, like, I don't know, reality show of a thing where then you all get like musicians and screenwriters get paired together. And then you spend the semester making a, a musical. Um, and honestly, the crazy thing about that is all these years later, one of the musicians that worked on one killer musical actually did a majority of the music on my web series. So that wouldn't have happened if I didn't make that connection there. And he's um, Raph San- Sanchez, shout out to Pico on Spotify. He's uh, an amazing musician and a lot, his 
He's kind of like the unofficial soundtrack of our web series. We have a lot of uh, artists on it, but he's probably the most featured, and he even, like, created songs for me from scratch for the web series. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that class. That's amazing. Berkeley is just like the cream of the crop for music. So I love that. And I'm not surprised that you found someone so talented. Now I did see, I watched a little bit of your musical to be honest with you and looking. Oh no. (laughs) Is that the same Neil McNeil who's now working on Katie Keene? That is. He was my co-writer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I thought that was very wild. It's like, I follow him on Instagram and I saw that name and it's like, I know he's a writer out in L.A. now. I knew he went there. haven't had him on my show yet, but I've kind of been following his career a little bit and saw his Katie Keith, and he has some really cute tattoos, just to be honest, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but he's, no, that's very he's, cool. He's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like, we go way back. He, we, that's who I paired up with, and we wrote that together. So um, I'll let him know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Get me a guess. I love that. Thank you. Very, very cool. <laughs> Well, talk about your foray into writing um, once you got to L.A. I mean, you've you've worked for some cool things. I saw Fuller House, Roseanne. Talk about those experiences. Anything really stand out as a favorite experience or an interesting experience? Um, I mean, it's so – I mean, there are plenty, probably none that I can share on air of like of <laughs> of, of, right. of, of antics that happen behind the scenes. Um, but I mean, I think the coolest thing about working on all those shows is it like it like made. Um, I feel like it's like the best kind of thing to make you like a a, a the best type of creator you want to be because you just get to see people who are working at like their highest level doing right. you know making it look so easy and you're just like the small cog in the machine watching it all happen um but sadly no i like i missed the controversies of fuller house i like was gone before the Lori laughlin and then i switched over to the connors um which was right after the roseanne thing so i unfortunately am boring and i didn't have i didn't get to have any of the juicy gossip of those seasons with the with the controversies, but honestly, I'm very thankful. I could, it's never a good work environment in that. Like I'd rather have the boring, like stable, uh, right. Right. Show than the craziness of, no, one, of, of, yeah, of, one of a writer is I become very good friends. Do you know Stan Zimmerman at all? It sounds familiar, but no, he's become a very good friend of mine. Stan is my one degree of separation from anyone is anyone in Hollywood. He's, written on everything and knows everybody he wrote for a year or two on the golden girls a year or two on the gilmore girls he wrote for roseanne during her big the very oh my first God. run back in the day and uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Has stories my Huge. friends we'll share yeah. stories sometime because it's pretty amazing uh, <laughs> i mean golden girls drop the mic right there Ugh. there you go fuller house were you in the juan pablo de posse days i mean thank you that would be kind of fun. Uh, I mean, I interacted with him. I don't know. I, I was only on it for season four. So okay. I, I, might be, I might be missing that reference, and, and, but I do know um, him, and he's very sweet. And 
the Warner Brothers gym uh, is like right next to it. So I feel like that was, I used to always see him at the gym, which was always trippy and you would just feel terrible about yourself because you would be working out next to these, you know, uh, yeah, very beautiful <laughs> actors and <laughs> actors and actresses who like had personal trainers and you're like, uh, okay, I'm just going to lift weights right next to you. Uh, so that's my memory of Juan Pablo. <laughs> I could not do that. I was telling my interns before we got on air that I'm having chocolate chip cookies tonight because I'm depressed I'm not going to LA. So, yeah, I, I, I would not oh be able God. to do that. <laughs> oh, my God. That not sounds good. so good, though. <laughs> yeah. They're yummy. They're <laughs> yummy. I will share next time. All right. Well, let's dive into this web series. It's called The First. I love the premise of it. Kind of starting this relationship. I talked about the intro the first of different relationships. I love that it's an interracial couple. I love that it's uh, talked about everything from sex and everything that we talk about in a relationship. Where did this idea come to you from? You know, I was with like a group of friends, um, you know, speaking of that crew, you know, your posse of gays and we were like all drinking in in one of our, uh, in one of my friend's houses. And we were just like, you know, it was like a Friday night and we're all having wine and it's like a safe space. And we were just talking about sex and different like positions or things that people like to do. And there was like a couple friends there who were getting very bashful and shy as if they didn't want to like divulge. And it was like this very interesting thing I felt of like, why, I don't know, like it's the safest space to me, you know, when you're like really cl- with your very close friends and you're not like, right. you know, it's not like you're on, on air on a radio show or something, you know what I mean? You're just like, <laughs> you know, you can open up and, and people still don't want to talk about it. And I felt like it created this, not on purpose, but like a, a culture of shame, people not wanting to talk about certain things. And then um, I, and we were also talking about, you know, first loves and breakups and it all kind of like that night kind of, was the genesis of, of this idea. And I was kind of writing it on the side in the midst of writing other, like in my eyes, quote unquote, real projects. And this is just like, oh, this is just like, I don't know what this is. And then on like a, on a whim, I submitted it to the Austin Film Festival a couple years back because I got some overtime. And I was like, oh, I have like, I have an extra <laughs> like 40 bucks that I can throw at this. And then it ended up doing, you know, a pretty good job there. And people said some very nice things about it. And so then I was like, I want to, I want to make this. And then that's kind of how I got the ball rolling. And um, it's been, it's been a journey. (laughs) I bet. Well, talk about that. I mean, web series are made on a budget, my friend. Talk about pulling this all together. Did you, what did you kind of learn from it? You've been in television industry and now you're on web series. Talk about that different dynamic that you're dealing with. You know, it was, yeah, I mean, the one plus side of, like, from being in that was just that, like, I, um, you know, you meet a lot of people, and then I just, like, begged and pleaded and asked for so many favors because this was there you go. made for, <laughs> was made for less than zero dollars. So everyone involved in it was just, like, um, from the get-go knew that, um, you know, I, that there wasn't a huge budget for this. And so I'm very, I'm super proud of how it looks because, I cannot stress enough how little money <laughs> we had to make this. Um, so, yeah, and I think that wouldn't have happened if I didn't make the connections on all the different shows or friends of friends. Um, and uh, the other thing that I'm very proud about is just that, like, on set, the, like, entire cast and crew was gay, 
or a woman or a person of color. There was no straight white men, nothing against them. But I kind of felt (laughs) that like, I kind of felt like I wanted to, you know, be as diverse as possible. And especially since the subject matter was so, there's so much sex and nudity and and it's about sexual compatibility. And I kind of felt like, you know, I just kept picturing like there's some sex scenes where it's like, you know, usually when you have a sex scene, there's like a, a big burly straight man, like with the boom right off camera, like in their face. And I was like, it'd be really rad if I had like a woman or a different diverse person there, just because I feel like, like, and I said this uh, when I was talking to someone else recently, where it's like, when you like identify as something as what other, like, I just feel like you inherently, and this is like a, maybe a stereotype, but it's like, you just empathize a little bit easier because you know what it's like to like not feel to be the norm and so then when you are in a more intimate or vulnerable position, like, say, being naked with a stranger on a bed acting, um, you, right. like, it just creates a safer environment. And I felt like that was something that, as a director, I was very proud of, that, like, it was such a safe environment and everyone felt comfortable and, yeah. Right. Oh, and and we're talking like it's a, a triple X rated feature. I mean, it's very tastefully done. There is very it, tame, very tame. It's very tame, but it is beautifully shot. Like you said, I think that the uh, that everyone they earn their their pennies on the dollar there because it looks beautiful, sounds beautiful. Um, talk about how long it took to go from writing to production. How long of a process was it for you? Uh, it was a while just because, like, I want to say it was, like, it was over two years because, again, it was, like, for example, like, once we got into post, it was, like, my editor and then my sound mixer and my colorist, they were all, like, they all had a normal job, and then this was something that they were doing for me as a favor or for very low money, so it would be, like, weekend work or after work, so each of those people, you know, would get to it when they could with their job, so it just kind of took a a good um, chunk of time just for those um, people to get their hands on it. And it was, yeah, it was a, sure. it was a, an exercise in patience. I will say that, but I mean, I'm, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. And I think it just is like, hopefully for the next one, you know, it will, we'll have a bigger budget and we'll be able to turn it around quicker. There you go. And talk about, like I said, it's very tame, but there is sex involved. We hear these days about YouTube censoring gay content and adult content. Have you had any problems with YouTube and getting the scene out there at all? Or has it been a pretty relatively easy process for you? You know, I was really worried about that because, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it has a lot to do. I mean, the whole premise is, is kind of like a very quick summary would be is a little bit like it's like a series of first of these two men falling in love for the first time and then dealing with sexual compatibility of basically like a bottom falling in love with like a verse bottom and how do they work that out and the so there are some sex scenes for the most part it's like a couple butt shots but I was like I hope that that doesn't trigger the YouTube censors and thankfully right now I mean I were Please, everyone who's listening, please um, don't censor us. But I, so far, we haven't um, we haven't had any issues. I mean, we did on Instagram. We would put some trailers up, and they would get taken down immediately just because we would say things like, "I think there was one trailer that said, um, do you ever want to pop?'" And which I guess was too sexually suggestive. I don't know. It was weird. Really? We kept getting. We kept getting, and, like, the most that you would see was them shirtless, because, like, like you were saying, it's, like, there's a lot of, like, things, but the way I shot it, I feel like it's pretty tasteful, like, it's a lot more insinuation than anything, 
Um, but yeah, on Instagram, there was like tons of things in, and a little bit on, on YouTube, like when we would try to put the trailers up, um, it would get taken down for like inappropriate content, which was a big bummer. But, um, thankfully when it actually went up, nothing happened. So there you go. Well, yeah. And, and I'm glad you went to the plot cause that was going to be my next question. Cause I think the plot is just a great story. As you said, we're talking about the first of everything. We'll go through each of it. In a bit, but talk about uh, my intern one. Actually, Zoe had a great question. Um, which episode of the first resonates most with you personally? Um, everyone has a little bit of themselves in their writing. Any of those episodes kind of resonate in one way or another? It doesn't have to be the sexual part, but just anything resonate with you more than others? I mean, that's like asking me to like pick a baby, I feel. But I would say... <laughs> Uh, the this last episode is my favorite personally. I think it's um, the most emotional, and it has like a and like a cool ending in my uh, opinion. So that Very one is so. just like my that's my favorite. So everyone, please watch till the end. <laughs> um, but uh-huh. uh, that one and that one too of just like uh, I would say like the storyline there is so much of so many of my friends and me and different relationships that I've had so in in every episode there is something that I have taken from some part of my personal life um but also from so many of my best friends personal lives and and like and then kind of exaggerated so I don't think there's one that's more than the other but I will say episode six is by far my favorite right very nice and what in your mind makes Leo and Will work as a couple? What do you think really draws them together? What was your um, backstory for them to make that work? You know, for me, like, I mean, that kind of goes to the, the I think it's twofold, which is like, I, I feel like um, as an, as a director in casting, the, this is such a like two hander of it's just, there's, the whole thing, there's not that there's, you don't really know what city they're in. You can, in, you can insinuate maybe what city they're in. You don't really know necessarily what their job is or certain things. And I kind of wanted it so that everyone would like place them, could easier place themselves into it, you know, because it's, I like kind of labeled sure. it more of like a bedroom. So it, it happens like everything happens like when the behind the closed doors and like you Hopefully, if I've done it right, people don't recognize that there's only two people in the web series. They don't really see anyone else because they're, in my opinion, the special effect is their chemistry. So I spent, like, a whole summer trying to get the right actors who I felt had the best chemistry um, to nail that down. And I think that, like, the actors really brought that to life. And I kind of felt like they were, yeah, Will and Leo are opposites. Um, but have a lot in common and might be a little bit more at the beginning of the series, be putting on more airs of like how they could be different. And then they slowly start to realize that they're similar and maybe a little too similar, which might not be the best in the long run. Right. My tease for people to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line though, that the special effects was the chemistry. That is like the best line I've heard in my five years doing this series. I love that. That is pretty <laughs> awesome. 
That kind of hey. guides me right into the next question, though. Talk about your process of finding these actors. They were both perfect for the part because, like you said, you kind of lose yourself in them. But just the two of them, and you 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 get drawn into that because there isn't the extenuating circumstances of people, subject things around you. Where did you find these amazing actors? So again, like going to what we were talking about before of having no budget, um, I was like, it was hard because I was like, I really want, I don't want this to feel like I'm getting quote unquote web series actors, you know, I wanted it to be like real actors, but at the same time, I couldn't really afford to get, you know, like these huge actors because (laughs) that would cost a lot of money. Um, So it was a, again, it was like a long process of like, there's like, you know, there's like this website called like Casted and different things. And then I would reach out to like the head of UCLA drama school and he would refer me to different like local LGBT um, theaters. Because another thing I was really trying to do, although legally you can't ask, was I was trying to get gay actors, which I never could know for sure, but like you know, you can ask and like around and see. And so, um, (laughs) yeah. So, and then, and then we had like, uh, I cast Charles Curtis Sanders first, who was just like blew me away in the audition. And then it was kind of a search to find Will, which was ironic because the character of Will was named Will. And then we cast someone named Will. (laughs) Um, But he, he was, he was referred to me. Yeah. By the head of, I actually like sent an email to the, it was a long process, but I sent an email to UCLA, like head of drama. And then he referred me to this like cold, this website for like celebration theater, which is a gay theater in LA. And then I just like posted on their like contact us, you know, you just like enter your name and it's like a box, you know, <laughs> so it was, like, right. not even like an email. And then I want to say like six weeks later, Will reached out to my, like I put like, please email this thing. And he reached out to me. And then I had him audition with Charles Curtis, and they were clearly the two. And then I was like, yes, okay, I finally have my special effect. Nice. Dude, I get 80% of my interviews from social media reaching out the contact box. It's amazing what can happen sometimes with that. It's crazy. Oh, that's well, hilarious. that's the thing that I'm, like, struggling with is, like, I'm so not on social media, and then I had to start for this, and then – I'm like even having another friend who's like helping me manage it because I'm like that weirdo who is like offline <laughs> for most of my life. And then now I'm like, Oh, how do I, how do I get out there do these things that the kids are doing? <laughs> um, even though I'm very much, you know, I should be, but, um, but yeah, it's been a learning curve. Uh, I know how that goes. I only do it because I have to for the show. So I know where you're from. And David, who you talked to earlier, that's running the studio for me, my intern, he, not a social media guy at all. I kind of made him get on social media for the internship here. And he's kind of been doing gangbuster job at it, but yeah, it's not for everybody. That's for darn sure. I, uh, I agree a hundred percent. I would not do it unless I absolutely had to, to get the show going. <laughs> yes, totally. Talk about um, what's coming next. I mean, this is hope. This is, blowing up hopefully we'll get this going do you have a genre you feel you're fulfilling do you do you write a certain style what do you see future projects being of yours i mean yeah i will say that i definitely i'm the most passionate about gay stories i would say there's not like a genre necessarily i've pretty much worked in in my like uh, main career so far i've been working in comedy um but i do like you know, the space of, of, like, comedy and drama and very, like, slice-of-life kind of 
very similar in tone to the web series, um, but I am, I just wrote on this show called Q-Force, which is an animated Netflix show about this gay, gay spies. It's kind of like um, a gay James Bond thing that will come out. Actually, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it will come out sometime in the future. Um, there you uh, go. And yes, so that's kind of coming up and then, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things that I, but I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> there you go. Probably smart. Who are your influences yeah. in writing and directing? Do you have any influences that you've kind of taken from? Oh, I mean, I mean, a big influence for the web series, and it's like my favorite movies, is um, Richard Linklater, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, um, which mm. is like a very, he did Boyhood, and it's like a very like walk and talk, dialogue heavy, and again, it's just like two people, so it's like that's, the first episode is kind of like my like loving homage to that first film because I love him so much as a, as a director. Um, nice. And yeah. And then, I mean, I'm as far as like, I loved Joss Whedon did Buffy. I love Gabe Liedman who was the, he's a gay comedian who did Pen 15, the upcoming Q4 show that I, just wrote an episode for um he's done broad city he's done um brooklyn 99 i like i'm i'm obsessed with him he's the coolest i like it and what have you found most challenging uh doing this and what do you think needs to be changed in the industry if you had a magic wand Ooh, in what way do you mean most challenging? Like with the web series or? Um, yeah, with the or, web series. We'll, we'll say on that and then we'll kind of re- yeah. we'll go to the bigger will, picture okay. as we start to wrap things up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say the most challenging with the web series was probably money. As it keeps coming back around just in the sense of like <laughs> you re- when you don't have a lot of money, you have to get really crazy. I actually think it was a, like it was a gift too because I could like um, – I don't know. It, it was something that like you just had to get creative and a lot of happy accidents happened. Like there was a couple songs that I really wanted to get by some gay artists. Cause I also wanted gay artists, musicians, and it didn't work out. So we had to find other people. And now I like those songs. So sometimes, you know, uh, it works to your advantage because you have to get more creative. Right. And then, uh, and then what was the last question? Sorry. Just so if you had a magic wand to change something in in filmmaking right now, what do you think needs to be changed the most? Be it diversity, be it certain practices yeah. in general. Um, what what do you yeah. what do you think the industry needs it would, the most? It would definitely be that in that diversity. I think like um, the it, when people of color and different ethnicities are um you know at the top other than straight white men um then you just get more interesting stories and more and perspectives and they champion other people and i think like having been in it in this world for a good chunk of time now and just seeing that like it just it really does stem from the top and when those people um help to pull up other people it just makes everything like so much better from every department and every level and if I could make like, you know, change it so that there was just tons of, you know, black women 
at the head of <laughs> more, not just black women, but I mean, let's start there and at the head. Right. Um, it, it would be great. I just feel like we get so much more interesting and fun and cool and all of the best adjectives types of shows as a result of that. There you go. Well, Tim, I appreciate you sharing your work. I didn't want to get too detailed in the series because I want people to watch it for themselves. It's six episodes, amazing hour of television, if you want to put it that way, the way when you put them all together. Um, congratulations yeah. on a great series, my friend. Good job. Thank you so much. And, yeah, you can find it on YouTube, the first series, and you can type in my name, Tim Zintek, and it should pop right up. Is this something that you feel you can do a sequel to? Because it it, it kind of can lend itself to it. The ending made it interesting. Um, so it could be finite as well. But what's your – do you have any thoughts of the series? Or is it a standalone? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of want to leave that to the viewers to decide what they think. I, I kind of had – I could see it going either way. I think it's a pretty clear, in my opinion, ending. Um, but then I've right. gotten some really cool feedback from audience people that have, have even suggested other things through. So I, for right now, I think it's a one-and-done thing. But um, never say never. Very well. And can you remember any of the social media to share with my listeners? <laughs> yes. Um, so you can find us on Instagram at the first series same for twitter and same for facebook um and youtube if you again if you just type in the first and then my name too because unfortunately there's another web series called the first that i didn't do but if you do the (laughs) first and then tim and then my name which is tim zintek z-i-e-n-t-e-k um and it should pop up and then enjoy (laughs) there you go Tim Zentek, you've been an absolute pleasure, and I want first dibs on getting you on future projects. you got to come do my show again. You're amazing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I would love to, and I also just I love your show and, like, what you stand for. I think it's so awesome. I appreciate it, my friend. Well, stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out. We're going to do a little song break here. When we come back, we're going to have Dr. Steve Iacovelli on. He is known as the Gay Leadership Dude, has a fantastic book out all about that. So we'll be back in this little bit. You're listening to Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I fell in love with a photo Head over heels for a face I'll never Squeaky clean in a bathrobe Just a hint of the skin that hides below I can't help it, I'm already, already Daydreaming this fantasy, fantasy Repeating, but nobody's stripping for me All I got are these eyes looking out of my screen
refrain I might want nothing to do with you If we met outside the frame I might want to put you back in friends we are back that was photographed by stefan alexander if you missed that interview head right over to the left of straight archives we had a great talk on a recent musical monday with him but guys i've been really looking forward to talking to my next guest he's known as the gay leadership dude and after working for multiple notable companies including disney and ibm he created his own company top dog learning group he's written a fantastic book called Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to be the King or Queen of Their Jungle. It lays out six core competency or leadership traits that can be uniquely experiential to our community, although they're definitely key strategies for any effective leader. I'm excited to learn more about his story and journey, and it's always nice to have a doctor in the house. So please welcome to Left the Straight Show for the very first time, Dr. Steve Iacovelli. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Good, Scott. Great to be here. Thanks so much for the kind intro. Well, I appreciate all the stuff you're doing for our community and for our business leaders at large. It is a crazy business time indeed. We can use your help, my friend. How are you holding up? How's things going for you? Uh, thank you for asking. It's going quite it's going better than I expected. Let's put it that way. I'll be super optimistic. <laughs> uh, I, I am a glass half full kind of guy, but you know, one of the main things that, that Top Dog does, and, and I'm sure some of your listeners, given the, the demographics, are probably giggling and know my straight business partner thought of the name, but thank you very much. Um, but uh, uh, we are um, uh, we do a lot of stand-up training, so that's always been a big curveball for us. But on the same oh, nice. token, um, yeah, so – Lots of our big clients, uh, Fortune 500s, are like, you're not coming to see us this year. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of online learning, and, and that, that's actually my doctorate in instructional technology. So that's not a foreign space for us to be on. We just had to, to pivot and beef that side of the business up. Right, I bet. Yeah, definitely strange times had by all. Uh, and Florida is now kind of going into another major portion of this, so we're hoping that things don't get too locked up there. Um, have you and the family and everything and your husband been doing okay and everyone around you okay? Knock on wood, physically we've been fine. Mentally we're as well as can be expected given all this stuff happening. Um, you know, it, it, obviously Central Florida, uh, you know, I live in Orlando, big tourism focus, lots of friends tied to the industry, including my husband. So that's kind of been the weird um, fiscal part of it and business part of it is just kind of like figuring that out. But we've been pretty, pretty good about being, you know, sequestered, masks on, gloves, washing hands, all that good stuff. So we're, we're definitely trying to take it seriously as, as our, it seems our circle of friends are. So hopefully we'll be able to ride out this, this weird storm here in Florida. Great. 
And we'll go into your work history in a bit, but you are a Disney guy. Disney was supposed to open in July. Does it sound like that's still going to happen? Or with this new stuff, have they been talking anything locally? Have you heard anything? Yeah, you know, Scott, my favorite emoji these days is the one with the the little person with their hands kind of both raised up like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm not giving that physically right now. Um, You know, Disney has been, I mean, all the theme parks, they they do their due diligence, obviously. They're trying to do the best. You know, Universal opened in a phased approach. Uh, Walt Disney World is also doing a phased approach next month. And so time will tell. We'll see. I know, um, you know, supplies of hand sanitizer in the Central Florida area has been really, really minimal. So I'm hoping that's a good sign. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show for the very first time. So I'd like to start with a little bit of background. Do me a favor and tell me where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you? Yeah, um, I grew up in the the suburbs of Philadelphia, so I'm a, a Keystone boy. Um, stayed there most of my life, and I was a pretty extroverted kid. Um, try, I was a fat kid, so I tried to do sports, but wasn't very successful at it. Um, uh, you know, I, I found my inner jock when I got older, and uh, but I was you know, pretty pretty involved in stuff. I was um, you know in the band, so I'm a little band geek, and I did theater. So there's some <laughs> foreshadowing, I guess, in my future. Um, but uh, didn't really, um, truth be told, didn't really understand my authentic self until my early 20s, so uh, pretty much the quote-unquote straight kid uh, experience until uh, right after undergrad. There you go, and where did you kind of first find your LGBTQ tribe? When did you kind of feel part of the community? It really, it was kind of this this weird hybrid. I Right after undergrad, I, I left Pennsylvania, moved down here to Orlando because I wanted to work for Mickey, and I did, and it was a horrible experience, <laughs> at least the first time. Oh, no. And, um, yeah, it just wasn't a really good fit. I was in the call center. This is, you know, the mid, early 90s and just not not the jam I thought it would be. So I actually moved back up with my parents, and about a month after I did that, I was like, oh, wait. I'm, my authentic self is liking boys. Oh, man, this is bad timing. So so Philly was kind of the first start of discovering my, my authentic self. And then um, not long thereafter, I ironically moved back to Orlando with a completely different job just because, you know, the universe is just awesome that way. And that was like my first experience as the kid in the candy store, like, yay. And so uh, it's kind of split between Philly and Orlando or my, my, um, my little queer homes of coming out, I guess you might say. Is awesome. And – you had a little bit of uh, training here. You went to school at our beautiful Ohio State here where Good I'm luck. from and then got Good your luck. doctorate later on. Talk about uh, education-wise. Did you enjoy those college years or was it just work, work, work? No, my favorite thing about, um, you know, I, I stayed here in, in Florida um, that second time for a few years. Company got bought. I'm like, you know, I'm going to grad school. And, and you made my way up to, to Columbus and thought, Ugh. Ohio. I don't want to go there. And I fell in love <laughs> with the city of Columbus. I was had such a stupid bias being from you know, the mid-Atlantic versus the Midwest. Not that it's very right. far. But, yeah. um, and I, I just completely fell in love with Columbus. I loved being in grad school, knowing my authentic self. So, you know, I was very into the uh, the gay scene in, in uh, Columbus and meeting lots of great friends there and uh, definitely found the good work-life balance, I guess you might say. Um, and and it, was, it was just such a, such a beautiful Beautiful couple years I spent there, and then when I graduated, I looked for jobs in D.C., Chicago, and I'm like, eh, Orlando. I like the uh, like the weather, and lo and behold, Orlando third time's a charm. So I moved back. My friends were calling me boomerang by this point. They're like, we throw you away, you keep coming back. <laughs> and uh, I moved here on a Monday, and I met my now husband of 22 years on Friday. So I guess the universe is telling me something. 
I guess so. That is an amazing story. I read that. It's like, goodness gracious, I can't find my guy in three months out. That's three years out. So that's a great story. How did you guys meet? Well, truth be told, apparently we met my second time here. Um, he, uh, Rich had been stalking me for a little while, and uh, just like <laughs> you would see me out, and it's not, not a massive community here in Orlando, and finally decided, uh, as his introverted self, to make his move one night. So we were at a dance club in downtown. He comes up to me, well, you know, 24-year-old Steve had, was a little cocktailed. And, um, you know, we had a chat, and he's like, you know, I'll, I'll chat with him next time I see him. Well, the reason I was so cocktailed, it was my going-away party. And my, um, my mostly uh-huh. friends friends had rented a limo, surprised me, we drove all around town, and then they're like, well, where's the last stop, Steve? I'm like, we're going dancing, woo! And so we stopped at this club, and that's when, <laughs> when Rich made the move. So it was good reason why 24-year-old Steve was a bit cocktailed, because he drove to Ohio two days later. And so um, when I moved back uh, that Monday, went to happy hour with some friends who I'd known in town on Friday, Rich sees me from across the bar, this little tiny kind of gay pub, and he's like, oh my God, there's that guy. Um, and he's talking to what's now a really you know, close friend of ours. And, um, and the guy's like, no, he's really cute. He's like, Rich is like, no, he's mine. I saw him years ago. He must have went to like Betty Ford <laughs> or something. And here he is two years later. So that's oh kind of how we goodness. met. Yeah. I love that. That's a great story, though. Fantastic. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and talk about some of the early years. I mean, like I said, you worked with some major companies before you started Top Dog. You were working with uh, Disney, IBM, Tupperware. Talk about what that experience was like and what did you glean from those early years? Yeah, it was it was interesting because, um, you know, I, I – shared about the Disney experience the first time. Well, then flash forward, I'm back here for the third time um, working with a, a software company. We got, uh, you know, we got bought and then things, just weird things happen and just, you know, things weren't, weren't where they should be from a sales perspective. So I got furloughed at that point. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And it's the first time I was ever let go from a job. And luckily I landed at Disney Cruise Line through mutual friends, you know, and uh, one friend sent my resume the same time the recruiter pulled it from the, um, the, the database matching a job that they had. And she's like, huh, here's the same resume. I just got two different ways. That's a good sign. So that led me to work for Disney Cruise Line. And I was an internal consultant for the two ships. I would, I, I work shoreside, but I go and travel on at the time, the two ships, um, the Disney wonder, the Disney magic, like every few weeks. And it was Scott, the best business travel in the world. It was awesome. Mm, <laughs> and, nice. uh, yeah, it was a really great experience. Um, you know, my job was to go on and, and help the shipboard crew and officers and the folks at Castaway Key, Disney's Island in the Caribbean, just be more effective in their leadership and, and their success. And so I was there for uh, just shy of five years-ish. And um, you know, one of the things I was also doing at that time was I, I started to pursue my doctorate. And uh, now this is, you know, the early 2000s, if you will. So, um, you know, after a few years of working with the cruise line, you know, these are some of my best friends on the ship, and I, they're my client base, you know, internal clients. And I, I'd go on board when I was doing my training classes, and I'd take my big box of, of research paper with me thinking, I'll just <laughs> write my big term paper in my cabin in between classes or sessions I'm doing. Well, think about it. It's a cruise ship. You know, it's not really an environment conducive to doing academic work. <laughs> so right. I kind of <laughs> didn't get things done in my my, um, my doctoral dissertation. And then finally, you know, I made the move to let's let's stop this part of my experience. Let's move on to something else and then, you know, kind of pursue the doctorate. And that led to some cool experiences as a full-time 
faculty for a year, which you know I'm not meant to be in a university. I'm too business minded, <laughs> so um, gotcha. made my way to yeah, and that's that's kind of how I made my way to IBM um, as an internal consultant with them for a few years, and that was great. But I um and I love IBM to this day. I still you know they're they're always my plan B if things never work out with Top Dog. You know, twelve years later, um, but I my last project <laughs> was was a quote unquote three three week gig from you know in San Francisco, so commuting. Orlando to San Francisco Monday through Friday. So that was a bit much fun. Like, eh, three, three weeks, I could do it. Well, three weeks turned into three months, six months, nine months. So that really wasn't the, the, the best focus for my world. Landed at, at, at Tupperware, which is lo- located here in Central Florida, and uh, was a global head of leadership for them. And it was, it was an interesting experience. And then um, uh, things happened, and I decided, you know what? I want to start my own darn company. And Top Dog was already a part-time gig to begin with. Um, my friend Ruth and I started it in 2002 as a part-time venture, and um, right. and so we had it going. And then I just said, you know what? The infrastructure is there. You know, 2008 is such a great economic year to start a business. Kidding, of course, because it was a horrible <laughs> time to start a business. Um, but it worked out in my favor anyway, and um, that's what I've been doing ever since. That's amazing. I love that story. And Disney is always great for company culture to begin with. So the business side has got to be very interesting. I have experience on the West Coast Disney. I lived in Anaheim for two years and saw the Matterhorn from my backyard. And everyone I ever knew worked at Disney. And I worked with them on a corporate level for a lot of things I was doing. So it is a great company as far as culture and what they try to impart with their leadership and everything they do and their training and their Disney University and stuff. So that's pretty amazing training ground to get you to where you're going, which I, which I love. And it's kind of talk about darting this kind of the first where the name come from. So I love top dog. Yeah. And you have two puppies. So is it from puppies? I do have two. It is not based upon my own canine children. That's the odd part. So um, (laughs) when Ruth and I I started, and Ruth uh, Bond, one of my best friends and mentor, she approached me. We were on um, the Disney Magic for – I was actually taking her job. And she's like, we Mm. should start a company. I'm like, we already have jobs. She's like, no, no, no. We'll do it on the side, but together we're the perf chief learning officer. So, you know, she kind of talked me into it. We the, went to our senior executive HR, full disclosure to share with her, and she's like, I love this idea. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have fun. So we're like, yay, blessing. And so I remember sitting in her backyard, uh, bottle of wine, which seemed to be a, a running theme with our business meetings. And, um, <laughs> and she, you know, we're like, well, what should we, what should we be named? And, and Ruth is, um, she's from the UK. Her last name is Bond. So she's very British. Uh, although she's, I mean, just in the sounding name, she's just wickedly fun and everything. And, um, <laughs> and, and we're like, you know, Yacavelli, Bond, and Associates. We're like, oh, that's so boring. And she is a huge dog lover. She's like this canine whisperer, amazing person. And her big, big um, chocolate lab is running by, and we're hanging out there, and we're like, what's something with dogs? And then so we just kind of brainstormed and came up with Top Dog. And then as it turns out, um, when I got my first dog about uh, 11 years ago, the, our, our, at the time, or it's our still logo, looked kind of like my canine daughter, Ella. So I guess it was serendipity that, you know, I had to get her, so she matched my logo. There you go. I love that. That's amazing. Well, talk about when did you first start to notice this lack of um, leadership style in the LGBTQ community that kind of worked into what you were teaching and learning? How did that kind of um, come together? Yeah, it's a really great question. And and, and it's actually, I, I actually saw the skill in our community, and that's where kind of things 
transcended. So, you know, I've been in the leadership space for some way, shape, or form most of my career, doing a lot of workshops with, with clients and, and just meeting leaders from all over um, the in different industries, not-for-profits, you know, it doesn't matter. And you start collecting data and seeing trends and what works for some leaders and, and what really doesn't work. And then flash forward um, a couple years ago, I was at the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. That this year was that year was in Philadelphia. It's my first year going, and I'm, I'm waiting for a session. I'm sorting my business cards you know, out front of a room, and this woman next to me is doing the same thing. And we struck up a conversation, and she's like, "What do you do?" And I said, "Blah blah blah." I said, "How about you?" She said, "I'm a publisher." I said, you know, there's a book in my head that needs to come out. Uh, and she's like, well, let's talk about that. So, um, you know, flash nice. forward. Uh, yeah, and so the universe is awesome. Um, Jennifer Grace of Publisher Purpose Press, amazing woman, just incredible group of folks. So that's who published my book. And, and before I even got to the gay part of it, I'm just kind of sketching things out. And I'm also doing a lot of advocacy work for our community, I, you know, here in Central Florida, doing things for some national groups and organizations. So I'm seeing, uh, you know, general term queer leaders all around me and just kind of like observing them and being that, um, you know, as I say in my book, I'm like Jane Goodall as an anthropologist, but she's much more butch <laughs> than I am, so that's cool. So I'm just watching our, I'm just watching our queer leaders. And, and I started to see a pattern, and then that um, inner Carrie Bradshaw, to date myself, kind of went off. And I couldn't help but wonder if there is something about our collective experience as members of the LGBTQ community that leads us to build up the muscles and experience that are indicative of certain leadership characteristics. And I identify, like you said, the six uh, in my book, Pride Leadership. And so that's kind of what I explored in the book. And, and it really started with, um, you know, I think we as, as members of the, the queer community actually get this certain experience. Now, granted, you know, I'm, I'm being gross generalization that everybody has the same experience. I understand that. But there are threads of commonality within our community, and that's kind of what makes a community a community. So you think about the concept, for example, of coming out. And for those of us who are out, and you, you keep coming out to certain people, having those, those, those kind of more challenging uh, conversations. Well, when you filter right. that through the lens of leadership, that, that kind of effective communication is golden when it comes to being an effective leader. Same idea with being authentic. You know, uh, there's tons of work out there in the general leadership world about authenticity really leading to leadership success. And so I argue in my book that, you know, if you, if you are an out leader, if you're leading your life through your, um, your true gender identity and gender expression, for example, I mean, you, you, you're so already authentic, it just makes you even more successful in leadership. And I'm just bringing those concepts kind of the top of mind for folks in our community. I absolutely love that. And I do think that we do have certain experiences that are unique to us that we that can make us stronger. I mean, it's going to break us, make us or break us, right? But I think <laughs> that you definitely um, learn a lot of different things, and I haven't been able to read the entire book yet. I'm looking forward to going through everything. But let's kind of go through the composite. I can imagine thick skin because you're going to get rejected a lot in leadership. I can imagine a lot of different <laughs> levels to everything here. Sure. Talk about some of the different core competencies, and not just lightly, and, and oh, sure, sure. ways that you relate them to the LGBTQ experience. Yeah, so, so we already just shared about authenticity and how you can kind of channel being your out. Uh, self at work. And, you know, side note with the, the latest SCOTUS ru ruling, I'm really excited to see what happens with the percent of folks who are out uh, at work within our community. Because according to HRC, right. 
you know, it varies you know, year to year, but it's pretty much around the 50-50 mark. And um, I'm wondering if that's going to change now that people feel some comfort, hopefully, that they can't just get fired for being their authentic selves at work. So kind of side note for that, my, my Pollyanna positive, you know, glass half full kind of thing. Um, right. But the next, yeah. the, the next, um, the next competency I talk about is, is courage. And, and so, you know, how does having that leadership courage impact your leadership effectiveness? And so, again, if you are, you know, and, and the, the thing that, that's really hard about these six, Scott, is that they are so intertwined. They're not little silos. So, you know, if I'm authentic at work, I'm already being courageous at work. So they're kind of, it's kind of like double dipping on that sure, competency, sure. which is, which is kind of the cool part. Um, you know, talk about empathy. And I think we as uh, members of a community uh, who are quote unquote others, to begin with, have empathy for the other others that are out there. And, and I think you can channel that to be much more uh, empathetic leader and understanding the position of people, even if you don't fully understand their experience. We have a better um, understanding of, of putting ourselves in those shoes, or as I say in the book, pumps, um, depending on who you are. Um, <laughs> Communication, kind of talked about that with the uh, coming out story and having those more difficult conversations. So, again, we're pulling in a threads of courage with communication strategy. Building relationships, I think um, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about our community is on, on, a, on an unconscious level, we're always looking for the safety in numbers and, and, and looking for those allies in, in the workplace and even well beyond. And, and it's a skill that I know personally I didn't realize I was developing. But you start looking for those little cues, and I think as we think about building relationships, we're finding those people using those nonverbal cues that we know are going to be on our side, whether they're part of our community, a.k.a. Gator, or, or we can just tell that they're inclusive, awesome you know, members of our ally friends and neighbors. So you know, kind of the building relationships there. And then the last competency I talk about is shaping culture. And this is where we, and, and I filter it specifically through shaping an inclusive culture within your workplace. So what are the things that you can do to uh, foster an, uh, inclusivity for your workplace? Everything from uh, looking at the HR forms that are out there and are they um, gender binary or are they more inclusive to the artifacts on the wall that send messages about you know, who we value here, all those types of things. We as, as LGBTQ leaders can really help shape that within our workplace. That's fantastic. I love that. And then you talk about this. I mean, you're an excellent speaker. You go out all over the country and speak about this. When, what really resonates with people? What do you see the real aha moments? Um, coming out of people that just really haven't thought of before. I, I you know, it's, it's it's thank you for asking that question. It's been really fascinating to you know the book came out pun intended <laughs> a year ago, and <laughs> um and and it's you know it's kind of like that slow burn. And my publisher warned me about that. She's like, don't expect everyone to just run to Amazon and get your book like you the day after it's out there. It's it will take time to catch fire. Trust me. I'm like okay. I'm not a very patient person, so I'm like whatever. <laughs> but, but she was she was right, and and so now I'm and I've been doing a lot of you know virtual keynotes because you know a lot of the face to face keynotes are gone, and uh, pro bono webinars with folks, and just really like having those conversations. And it's so fulfilling in the chat to see people who are like, oh my god, I love your book, or, or um, the audio book just dropped a few weeks ago, and people were just like, uh, they're like, you're so funny because I did the audio book myself, and there's a whole other story behind that I could share. Um, but but it's it's you know it's in my voice. And just hearing people, and, and you know, I have an eight-week um, online training class that focuses on the book, and it's kind of like an Oprah book club on steroids kind of thing. And just hearing right. the people's reaction to like, they're like, you know, I, I, I knew what you were saying, you know, and leadership stuff's been around for a while, but 
no one's really put it through the lens of being a queer person and and, and, right. and really fanning the, the power that we have and the experience that we have. And it, it's just that little bit of permission that people are coming back to me and saying, you know, thank you for, for giving me this permission to know that I'm a powerful LGBTQ flu leader. And, and I think overall that's probably been the, the biggest um, piece of feedback I've heard is just being the voice that hasn't really been said a whole lot out there. Mm, gotcha. No, that's very powerful, I can imagine. Well, talk about that. I don't like my voice on the radio, let alone having to <laughs> write a 200-something-page book, talk about it. Talk about the experience recording your own book. <laughs> Scott, it was really horrible. <laughs> I will totally be honest. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I had, I had done radio and, and um, stuff on, in undergrad, so you know, sitting with a big fuzzy microphone is not foreign. But um, – <laughs> When I had been planning on doing the book, and, and my publisher said, you know, always target the audiobook like at the year anniversary of the physical book. So I'm like, okay, that's the plan. Right. Well, then, then COVID happened. But I was already down the path to do this. And the production company I was working with, the, the way it's supposed to work is I log on from my home. The um, uh, editor logs on from, in this case, his home. And we go to this super fancy site, and then I just read in the microphone, and he kind of edits it as we're going. Well, because of COVID-19 and the amount of home internet traffic, um, audio files are really super sensitive, and we just couldn't get really good audio. So he said, mm -hmm. well, you have one of two choices, Steve. You can either find a studio in Orlando and pay $10,000 for the day and hope you finish the <laughs> book by then, or he's like, can you do it yourself? I said, you know, you know, I have the software on my computer. I have the fancy microphone. I'm like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So... I had to find the, the right place in the house, which, as irony would have it, um, is uh, my husband and I's walk-in closet. So I spent 65-plus hours reading my gay leadership book in the closet. And, and so that's <laughs> – and I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. That's so awesome. <laughs> but it was uh, – Oh, my you know, goodness. But it wasn't air-conditioned. We never thought we'd spend a whole lot of time in the closet like that. So it got a bit sweltering there as, over those 65-ish hours of just – you know, reading to myself in the dark because the lights were hot. So. I bet, and you can't put a fan on because it'll mics will pick up that. And I exactly. But I have heard that closets are some of the best. I've had like six podcasts I know of that do theirs out of the closet <laughs> because for some reason the acoustics are amazing. They're but perfect. yeah, that's hilarious. Oh my yeah, goodness! And, and I even had my my dog one uh, my canine daughter Ella's dog bed over my head just for added cushioning because there was just a little bit of of echo in the, in the space. That's hilarious! I love that. Well, we talked about what the readers and the listeners are getting out of the book. What is your biggest takeaway? Your hope that you hope they're getting from the book? Talk about your main goals when you when you set out to get this thing out there. Thank you for asking that. Um, so I didn't set out to write a book because I was going to make a million dollars. And you know, unless you're like on Oprah's book list, you're probably not going to get to that level. And that really wasn't right. <laughs> Sadly, um, although I am reaching out to Ellen. Yeah, Ellen, I think you have my book now. Come on, get me on the show. But um, uh, my goal, really, in all sincerity, was to fan the flames of an LGBTQ plus leadership movement. I, I think that what I've watched, what I've seen, what I know about leadership. Um, we as a community have so much power, and I don't think we're tapping into it well enough. 
And when I look, changes that have already happened, and that's fantastic, but we can do better. We can really beef up the leadership awesomeness that we already have, especially with the next generation coming up to keep that, quite, that, that fight for equality moving. Um, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50. Um, I've been in this fight for a while. And, you know, it, I'm not going to keep doing this. And I know, you know folks around my age or even older, aren't, we need to pass the mantle on. And my hope is that um, some of what I'm sharing in Pride Leadership and in the Lions program, which is the name of the eight-week program we do, it has some sort of tipping point for our, our queer leaders that they can take that and apply it to make the world just a little bit more inclusive for all of us. Terrific. I love that. And talk about, I mean, you've had to – doing all these seminars, kind of touring out there with the book, what are you finding are the next steps? What are people asking you is, I love all this, but I really wish you'd tell me about X, Y, Z. Do you have uh, people asking for a follow-up, or what, what's in your head as far as that goes? Yeah, actually, I do, and, and that was kind of surprising because um, you know, one of the things that, that people have now been asking me is great. Do you do do you do uh, executive coaching? Do you do group coaching? And I, you know, I, and I thought that was something I wasn't really thinking about at first. I mean, I've done it in the past, of course, but didn't think about that as like part of the top dog offerings and the gay leadership dude kind of hanging my sign out. So I've been hearing a lot of that, and I and because of that, and yes, I did start that kind of a part of my business now. But it really prompted me to say, well, how could I help folks? in a more broad term. And, and so I, um, I started a new column um, that's appearing, uh, and now it's actually gonna be appearing in Advocate, called Your Queer Career. And the idea is like the Dear Abby kind of I have a question thing. Um, that's the approach I, I'm, I'm taking. And so, you know, like I've, I've had people pre-Supreme uh, Court ruling last week say, should I come out at work? I'm scared, I don't know, is that the right thing to do? And so I've been trying to be really mindful of those, those very topical, um, questions and see a way that I can kind of answer that, that that might appeal to other people who have the same question out there. So that's uh, the next thing. And that will also be um, probably fodder for the next book, too, um, to kind of collect all those responses and, and, and put it in some sort of order that might be of use to some people in the, out, out in the field. Exactly. Well, congratulations on the call. I mean, you're right. You're going to get some questions you never even thought of before, I'm sure, that will be some great, great talking points for the next book. I think that's yeah. amazing. Very, very good. Well, talk about, I mean, as I said, people right now are looking for this kind of leadership skills. People, this is 2020 as messed up as it is. It's also a great restart for people to start their companies, to start thinking ahead to what they want to do. If, if they wanted to reach out and wanted to maybe do a session with just themselves or their company, talk about how they can do that. Yeah, the, probably the easiest stop is um, topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z. That's kind of our main page. And from there, you'll see, you know, contact us. You can kind of send, uh, send a message. We'll, we'll, we'll get that. There's even a way to just jump on my calendar if you want um, for like a 15-minute hello. You know, I'm totally cool with that. Um, and that's kind of one of the main ways. I've also been working um, directly with larger organizations, employee resource groups. So especially, of course, the queer ones. Uh, and, and that's been really fun because it's, it's like working with the company but with the gay part of the company. <laughs> and that's kind of a, a cool way that, that's um, a little bit different than I expected. I've uh, also been, been doing a lot of work with um, uh, LGBT professional associations and chambers of commerce. And, and those are all the groups that I'm trying to see how I can support their mes- mission of, you know, 
cultivating leadership, being more effective, and, and, and finding ways that we can kind of partner and play together. That's great. I mean, that was my next question, too. Is, I mean, HRC puts out an amazing group of businesses, of top LGBT businesses, but where there's a top, there's a bottom, right? So how can people <laughs> uh, want to, if people are a little concerned for their company and they want to reach out maybe on their company's sake, is there a way that people can do that? Um, maybe not even just with you, but how should someone approach their company if they want to talk about a little more LGBT equality in the workplace, maybe? It's, it's a great question, and it's actually something I talk about in the chapter on shaping culture. Um, you know, I kind of dive deeper and say, okay, how can you analyze your the inclusiveness of your organization? And, and you know, whether it be looking at formal great rating systems like the HRC um, uh, list or uh, just kind of looking like an anthropologist within your own workplace and seeing how inclusive is it or not and you know what does the senior leadership do where where have they responded during pride months and more importantly um, when when we as a community have been under duress have they been that that outspoken ally and and even in the book I talk about um, you know, ways that we as individual leaders can beat silent collusion you know that that's someone says that really negative thing in the mm. workplace and no one says a word you know it's just like that record screech right. and just says right. nothing in silent so you know I, I share strategies in the book to kind of help combat that and I think those are those are great ways to start um, thinking through that how you as uh, a queer leader can make that impact but also having that that idea of, of, of self-care and self-preservation um, you know I, I I'm not naive enough to think that I can go in there to a, a, a a fairly homophobic <laughs> company and make that difference right away. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Uh, but if I do want to go down that fight, understanding that that comes at a personal cost, and that cost could be your energy, your emotions, you know, whatever, whatever. And and sometimes, quite frankly, I mean, I'm a fighter. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I I like to <laughs> fight Scott. I like to to make sure that we're you know kind of um, you know challenging the status quo and improving things. I mean, that's I'm a development professional. That's what I do. But some people may not have that fight in them, and, and you have to decide that personally uh, if that's the fight you want to do. If so, have at it. Here's strategies to do that. If not, then you know what? Even in the age of COVID, there are some amazing uh, workplaces that want to embrace your authentic self and support who you are as an LGBTQ plus person. So you know, it, it's a it's very personal conversation to have. I started in, in the chapter on, um, on shaping culture, but it really is a personal journey for folks to have. Very, very good. Well, we got to start wrapping it up. I think uh, one of the qualities of great leaders and great leadership is having a vision for where they want to bring things. What is your vision for yourself? Um, what What's next for the dude? <laughs> I want to conquer the world. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, I, you know, I, I, um, I've always said to my top doggers, uh, you know, the folks who work with me, that I just want us to be this army of awesomeness. And, you know, I can share some of the skills. Obviously, people have to take those and internalize them, play with them, make them part of their DNA. But I just want this army of awesomeness that's just going to go out and, and create this great inclusivity in all of their workplaces so that when, when folks enter the workplace, it's not a big deal about, like, hey, uh, you know, I'm a lesbian, I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm gay. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, and that's, that's kind of my, my vision going down the path. So my job to get that vision happening is to just figure out how to support those and, and include them in the army of awesomeness that we all can be part of. Well said, my friend.
Thank you. Well, goodness gracious, Dr. Steve, I am impressed. Thank you for sharing all this great um, wisdom and leadership advice for my listeners. Let them know how they can get in touch with you and where they can follow you on social media, my friend. Yeah, so um, topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z, all one word, is probably a good place to start. You'll get a a taste of um, what we do. Um, Also, another way to kind of get a hold of us is, is, well, for the month of of June, um, I've been actually giving away my book, Pride Leadership. Uh, All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So if you're listening, um, and it should still be open for a few more weeks, um, HTTP, uh, top forward slash, forward slash, topdog.click forward slash free ship, all one word, and that way you can kind of, it'll drive you to the right site. I'm happy to sign it, put it in the mail for you. Um, you know, like I said, my, my goal isn't to make money, it's to just really fan the flames of this movement, and the best way I can do that is to get the story and the message out there, and that site will also have other ways that you can kind of uh, get a hold of me if you don't want to go to the main Top Dog site. I'm very accessible, and if you um, look at, for the Gay Leadership Dude on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you'll... There's only one of me, and you'll be able to find me pretty easily. There you go. The one and only Dr. Steve Iacovelli. I am so happy that you came on today, my friend. Thanks for being part of the Left of Straight show. Thank you so much, Scott. This is great, and keep doing the great work that you do as well. Thank you, sir. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play that little song here. I'll come back in just a little bit. Listen to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
All righty, guys, we are back. That was Rodrigo Massa with La Fiesta. All right, guys, well, this is a great show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. A big shout-out to our guests today. Thanks to our good buddies Josh and Jeffrey in Nashville for another J&J Buzz Pop Culture Minute to start the show off. Had a fantastic talk with Tim Zentic. Please go out and check out his film, The First Time. It's amazing. Six episodes on YouTube now. And then a big shout-out to Dr. Steve Iacovelli, the gay leadership dude. He had sent um, a bunch of little free copies of his book, for my guests in Palm Springs, I'm going to email him tomorrow and see if I can give away a couple free downloads of his book to our guests, because it really is an amazing book. And I'll see if we can use those for you guys. I will let you know tomorrow on that. So that's it. We made it through another Left of Straight show. We will be back tomorrow and Friday at six o'clock Pacific and nine o'clock Eastern time on tomorrow's show. We're going to kick it off with our Thursday Foodie Minute with Ramis Ellis from New York City. See what she has in store for us. And then two interviews for you. We have Greg Baird on. He's an LGBT public speaker. He has his own line of seasonings for cooking, which I love. And we'll talk to him for a bit. And then we're going to have Matt Bellis on. He has a PhD in psychology. He uses comedy to teach about substance abuse prevention in a very positive way. So I thought that'd be a good subject to talk about. So great show for us tomorrow. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can follow me at left of straight on Twitter and Instagram and left of straight is always spelled L E F T O F S T R and the number eight. Be sure to follow my interns like Hannah and David has been helping us out today at the left of straight radio, Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, the interns are on Left of Straight uh, Radio. I have the Left of Straight Show page. And my personal one, Scott Fullerton, you can send me a friend request. And other than that, guys, we've had a great show today. Again, no big gay road trip. So I will be in town next week here in beautiful Northeast Ohio instead of on the road traveling our great countryside. I will get over it and uh, not be sad in a little bit, but we're going to have some good times anyway. So I appreciate y'all tuning in. We will see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.